Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in this evening for Ryan Recker. Hey, I am glad you are sticking with us after the Billiken game. And, and by the way, I do have to, to brag a little bit about the Billikens before we get started here. Because, you know, listen, I graduated from St. Louis University School of Law. And, uh, and I often say you don't have to graduate from St. Louis University School of Law to be a great attorney. But why on earth would you ever want to take the chance? So in any event, this evening, uh, I'm kind of, you know, taking off my legal analyst hat a little bit. Well, we're probably going to dive into some legal topics as the evening unfolds just because, uh, you know, I just can't. It's like a moth to a flame. I can't I can't resist. But we will not focus on legal issues because nobody wants to hear that for three hours. Not even me. Certainly not my wife. It puts her instantly to sleep. So we won't be doing that. But we've got lots of things to talk about this evening as the show unfolds. But if at any time you want to send me an email, I always love hearing feedback from listeners. Uh, I was on Sunday night. I got a whole bunch of emails I had to return on Monday morning. Always love hearing from listeners. My email address is beyoung because, you know, face it, it's good to be young. B-Y-U-N-G at harrisdowell.com. H-A-R-R-I-S as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L. Com. Uh, this evening, well, first of all, hey, listen, uh, we're going to have an interview in the 10 o'clock hour. We're going to be talking to St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trachis. Uh The council has been very busy recently uh, with lots of issues dealing with COVID, with CARES Act money, with restaurant closures, with a county executive who issues orders that are uh, uh, non-reviewable. We've had bickering on the Council, we've got dogs and cats living together. I mean, you know, it's just been pandemonium here in St. Louis County. And so I thought I would go straight to the proverbial horse's mouth and talk to Ernie Trachis this evening. So he'll be joining us in the 10 o'clock hour. But before then, you know, I've obviously got the news of the day. But, hey, what's on your mind? If you've got something that's eating you or you want to talk about this evening, phone lines are open, 314 436-7900. That's 314-436-7900. 
One of the things we're going to do probably uh, in the 11 o'clock hour, so you're going to want to stick around for that, absolutely. We're going to do Christmas trivia. That's right. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any gifts for you. I uh, can't do that. But you can earn my everlasting gratitude and respect if you win on the Christmas trivia. And earlier this week, I know Randy Tobler's been in, and my goodness, he does a great job, Dr. Randy Tobler. And uh, I was I was listening, and one of the things he was talking about earlier this week was Christmas movies and you know, I can't resist. Even though I know Dr. Tobler talked about Christmas movies earlier, I'm still going to talk about some Christmas movies this week or this this evening, rather, as the show unfolds. Because, number one, I love Christmas movies. Number two, I have this running debate with Joe Holloman at the Post-Dispatch. I've known him for a long time. And he says that, my, well, Die Hard, I am convinced Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Okay. I know it. I can argue that case. I could take it to court. I would argue it in front of the U.S. Supreme Court about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. In fact, every year at the Young household, we watch It's a Wonderful Life. We watch Elf. We make fun of some Hallmark movies. And then, my friends, we watch Die Hard, okay, every Christmas because it's not Christmas without Die Hard. It just isn't. So if, what I don't know if you want to voice your opinion on whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. You know, we can even talk about that now. We'll do the Christmas trivia later, but if you think Die Hard is or is not, and, and I'm probably going to go through my argument about why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. There's actually evidence to support that contention. And to me, it's irrefutable. The Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and yet Joe Holloman says it's an action movie that takes place at Christmas. Well, who says an action movie can't be a Christmas movie? Who made up that rule? I don't think that's in the Constitution. Um, I certainly don't think it's uh, it's biblical unless it's in like Second Hesitations so that you can't have a Christmas movie that's an action movie. I don't think about it. I don't think it's there either. So I don't know if what your thoughts are, but. Certainly, if that's something you're opinionated on, as am I, 314-436-7900. You know, we're going to be saying goodbye shortly to 2020. And uh, <laughs> who's going to be sorry to see this year go? Uh, nobody. Nobody's going to be sad to see 2020 go. Nobody. It's the worst year in all of our collective memories, I think, uh, but certainly one of the deadliest years on record. Yep, three over three million Americans have died this year. I mean, that's terrible, and that's the most ever by far. People died, not even during wartime. So I know that this year... Every, every year, you know, we see those uh, say goodbye to the year and we sing in the new year. Well, I will never cheer more loudly than New Year's Eve this year because we'll all be very happy to see 2020 go. Some of the news, though, that just broke like this afternoon, President Trump vetoed the defense appropriations bill. Now, I like a lot of things President Trump has done. 
Uh, I, I liked a lot of the things that he's done. I didn't like a lot of the things about him personally. I had a lot of issues with him personally, had a lot of issues with his style. Uh, loved every single justice he appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, two thumbs up on all of those. But for the life of me, I cannot understand why he vetoed this defense bill. I can't understand why. Uh, it 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 was good for our country. It gave pay raises to our troops. Uh, we're, I'm going to go through some of those issues as the show unfolds this evening. But uh, uh, but one of the things that was in the defense bill directly affects St. Louis. I'm a nut when it comes to to military technology, and embedded within the defense bill that will be uh, it will be overturned by Congress. They are going to override this veto, I promise you. But within that defense bill was the purchasing of 24 additional F-18 Super Hornet jet fighters built right here. In North County at Lambert Field, 24. Uh, they, they build about one to two a month. So this would be either a, an additional one or two years of the line going forward to build F-18s. Phenomenal. 12 F-15 EXs. That's the new F-15s. Totally new, totally redesigned. Those are going to be built right here. President Trump vetoed that bill. And... Uh, <laughs> And I think he made a mistake. And I think that Congress is going to fix that mistake because they're going to override the veto. This is the first time in, I think, 60 years that the defense appropriations bill at the end of the year has been vetoed. So I look for that to be uh, fixed uh, by Congress probably early next week. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, do you remember that uh, the loop trolley? You remember, remember a year ago, a year ago, we thought the loop trolley was a big deal. And then COVID came and then the economic shutdown came and then the recession came and then the presidential election came. And we've kind of forgotten about the loop trolley. So I did some research today and I will bring you up to date on the trials and tribulations associated with the loop trolley and where that stands. So that's stuff that we have uh, going forward this year. Uh, You may have also heard earlier this week that Sam Page has lifted some of the restrictions on indoor dining in St. Louis County. Well, when we come back from this break, it's interesting because uh, St. Charles St. Charles actually had to file, attorneys had to file litigation in St. Charles today because their restaurant closure rule means that they've got to close at 11 p.m. Why? Why is that a rule? How is it that suddenly, I guess maybe the the COVID virus, um, it doesn't really transmit until uh, after 11 p.m.? I mean, how does that work? Obviously, that's facetious, but why is that rule in place? So I'm going to go through that litigation and let you know why I think that will be successful in St. Charles, because the reasons that a lot of these governments are giving to keep businesses closed simply don't hold water. And finally, finally, courts across this country are realizing that, and they're starting to strike down some of these overbearing, overreaching executive orders uh, that are really hurting our country financially, economically, and really from a, a, a national security issue. When our economy's down, it's difficult to keep up 
even if our defense of our country, you know, we got to have tax dollars to do that. So all of those things are on tap this evening. And uh, what's on your mind? 314-436-7900. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America on KMOX. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker. And uh, happy Christmas Eve Eve. That's what it is. It's Christmas Eve Eve. So uh, glad you're spending that with us this evening. Hey, I want to turn to uh, producer extraordinaire Nathan. And uh, I got to set this up for you. Now, I I didn't clue him in in advance what I'm going to ask him. But but here's the reason why I wanted to talk to Nathan. In Colorado today, actually, I think it was yesterday, in Colorado, a woman sued. She was paid, though. The settlement was $2.4 million after she was wrongly arrested in Colorado. But here's the interesting part. She was at her house. The police came, knocked on the door. They had an arrest warrant. They came to arrest her. They were at the wrong house. But the twist on this story, Nathan, is... When they went into the house, the woman was naked, and she had no clothes, okay? And so when the police arrested her, they wouldn't allow her to go into her room to get her clothes because she might have a gun, she might have a knife. They didn't realize it was the wrong house. So she was arrested cold and naked, and Colorado settled the case today for $2.4 million dollars. So my question, how much money would it take for you to be arrested <laughs> naked and taken to the police station? In other words, if you were the plaintiff, what would you demand to settle that case? 2.4 is, a, is, a, is good enough for me. That's, that's embarrassing. It really is. <laughs> Two, well, I always wonder, you know, because I'm always on the defense side and I settle cases all the time. I play Monopoly every day with somebody else's money. But, you know, how in a case like this do you get to 2.4? I mean, why not 2.5 or why not 2? I would have liked to have been in on those negotiations. But for you, it's the 2.4 is the number for you. At least. Yeah. At least. If they offered 2.4, I'd say yes. You'd say yes. To be arrested naked, hauled down to the police station. They give you a blanket. I saw a picture of her. She was draped in a blanket. So that's your number two as well. Two point four million. I w- I wouldn't say no. I you mean that's <laughs> I would gladly take that. Okay. Well, I you know I don't know what that number is for me. Um, I don't know. Uh, I I don't know what that number is for you either. To be arrested naked. Uh, and there was pictures of this woman, poor woman. She didn't do anything wrong. It was a wrongful arrest, and uh, they hauled her in. And uh, but but she got two point four million. And you know what? I'm guessing here, you can buy a lot of clothes for two point four million. You can buy a, a lot of clothing for two point four million. Uh, before the break, though, I mentioned that in St. Charles. The two restaurants have filed a lawsuit against St. Charles County seeking to overturn the 11 p.m. mandated closing time for bars and restaurants. So let me set this up. Out in St. Charles, you can you can still go and dine there. There's no mask mandate necessarily. 
Uh, and restaurant indoor dining has been open all along. Unlike St. Louis County, it's been open all along in St. Charles County. But one interesting twist has been that they have been closing all restaurants and bars at 11 p.m., which to me is somewhat baffling because it is as if the coronavirus can't be transmitted at 1030. You know, it goes to why, why is that? It can it doesn't happen at 1030, but at 1115, it's a night owl virus and it suddenly comes alive. So these two restaurants have filed suit out in St. Charles. It's the uh, Tony's on Main Street and Shamrock's Pub and Grill in St. Peter's. And they're filing this lawsuit because of the nonsensical emergency order that bans these bars and restaurants that serve alcohol from remaining open. Now, here's the reason why they're doing this. And this is why we're now finally, finally seeing litigation like in San Diego, in Los Angeles, in Pennsylvania, and elsewhere, this litigation has been successful. Unfortunately, it was not successful here in St. Louis County. But these lawsuits stating that these executive orders have to have, have to be what's called narrowly tailored to meet a specific objective. And it's called strict scrutiny when you're talking about constitutional law. And so they're looking at these rules and they're saying, are these rules narrowly tailored to meet a specific legitimate government need? So if you apply that to this, I could see where, at least arguably, uh, you could say, well, we're going to close everything. Okay. But how is it in St. Charles? Now, I disagree with that, but at least I could understand it. But in St. Charles, the analysis would be, how is this narrowly tailored if it only applies to bars and restaurants and it only applies after 11 p.m.? Because it doesn't apply to a Maristar casino. It doesn't apply to the casinos. It doesn't apply to Walmart. It doesn't apply to Walgreens. You know, it doesn't apply to bowling alleys. It really only applies to bars and to restaurants. And so the question is, is there a rational relationship between that rule and uh, a legitimate government action. Now, to his credit, St. Charles County Executive Steve Elman, I've had him on this show many, many times over the years, he says its intended purpose is to keep people from St. Louis County from flocking to St. Charles County after 11 p.m. when everything closes over here. And he says that would encourage more people traveling to St. Charles. But here's the real issue. And I spent a large part of the day today looking at studies regarding the transmission of COVID in restaurants. And folks, I got to tell you, that, that evidence is, shall I say, scant. There's not a great deal of evidence. In fact, in San Diego, where just last week a county judge struck down an entire host of, of rules and laws, or not laws, they were rules and executive orders pertaining to restaurants because the restaurants could not produce, I mean, rather the, the uh, government could not produce evidence of proof of transmission, a higher rate of transmission. So again, how does this rationally relate to a legitimate state interest if you're allowing Walmart to be open? People could be packed in there you know, like sardines, uh, like like kittens laying on the couch. They could be laying all over each other. And yet 
you close the restaurants. Even if the restaurants are saying that the tables are six feet apart, that people are wearing masks to and from the tables, the, re- the restaurant staff are all wearing masks, everybody's using hand sanitizer. Even with those rules in place, these, these executive orders close the restaurants, and I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled that, this, that the courts are finally taking a serious look at the relationship. And I relationship between these government actions and the, the fact that they're putting businesses out of business, they're eliminating the livelihoods of business owners, they're eliminating the livelihoods of servers, people that, that need these jobs to, to support their families, to pay their mortgage, to, to put their own food on the table. And they're being, they're being prevented from doing that by executive order. It's really atrocious, and I'm glad that the courts are finally taking a look at that. Now, that was an issue here in St. Louis County, and the Restaurant Association, the Missouri Restaurant Association, filed for a temporary restraining order on that same basis. And I said right here on this show, I didn't think that the courts would support that. And I was right. The court, the temporary restraining order was denied and now that case is still pending, but the temporary restraining order was denied so that the restaurants still stayed out of business. Now, Sam Page has lessened those restrictions somewhat, and it couldn't have come at a better time. But, you know, I've got another question. Obviously, if you watch the news, you've seen that the numbers in St. Louis County and in all around St. Louis County and St. Louis City, those COVID numbers are high. They're very high. The hospitalization rate's very high. Uh, the, uh, the, e, the emergency rooms, the ICUs are filled almost to capacity, not quite. So here's my question. If I could talk to Sam Page, this would be my question. Dr. Sam Page, this would be my question. When you instituted these rules several months ago or several weeks ago, the COVID numbers were lower then than they are now. After you issued these orders closing the restaurants, the numbers went up. And now that the numbers are at their peak, you're now reversing those rules and loosening them and allowing more restaurant dining. So if you really truly believed in the legitimacy of what you were doing in terms of closing the restaurants, why would you reverse that decision now when the COVID transmission rate is at its highest level that we've seen? Why is that? I don't have an answer to that question. A lot of times I'm good at asking questions, and a good attorney is always supposed to have the answer to the question before he or she asks it, but I don't have the answer to that question. And, uh, and if Dr. Sam Page is listening and would love to call in, I would really love to hear the answer to that question. 314-436-7900, Mr. County Executive, would love to hear your answer uh, to that particular question. Uh, one of the other things that we're going to get into this evening, uh, later on in the show, is we've all heard about the COVID bill, the COVID relief bill that passed both the House and the Senate. And uh, President Trump hasn't said at this point whether he intends to sign it or not sign it. He said he wants up to $2,000 per person instead of the 600 but he hasn't said whether he'll veto this or not. Well, I tried to go through that bill today. Folks, it's astounding. I'm not, I can't even read to you the entire list. It's 6,000 pages long. It'd be here quite some time. But I've pulled out some of the most egregious 
funding statements that I have ever seen. So, because ostensibly, this is a COVID-19 relief bill, right? It's designed to help facilitate people getting back to work. It's supposed to help people who have COVID. It's supposed to provide direct economic assistance as a result of COVID. Folks, there is stuff in this bill that will blow your socks off. And as this show unfolds this evening, I'm going to give you the lowdown on what's in this bill. I'm not suggesting that it should be vetoed, but I am telling you that this is why people hate government. Because a COVID bill should not be used to fund $130 million to be sent to the country of Nepal. Okay? We shouldn't be doing that in a COVID relief bill. And that's just one of many examples that I'm going to go through this evening. Uh, When we come back from this break, there's a little bit more here of news in the day. But also at 10 o'clock, we're going to talk to uh, Ernie Trakas. He's the councilman on the St. Louis County Council. We're going to ask him about these restaurant rules. We're going to ask him about the functionality of the St. Louis County Council. And uh, and plus, we're talking about Christmas movies and Die Hard and is Die Hard a Christmas movie? All of those things. I'm setting the table for you this evening. Any of those things sound interesting, give us a call. 314-436-7900. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. Happy holidays. This is Tom Ackerman in KMOX Sports. From the Ackerman family to your family, we wish everyone a happy holiday and a wonderful new year. Happy holidays from KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker and... I've had this theory. I mentioned it just for a moment on Sunday night when I was here, but I want to mention it again because hearing that Christmas music, I have found myself listening to more Christmas music this year than really any year that I can remember. It's not that I've not liked it. I've always liked Christmas music, but I've never really gone out of my way to make a point to listen to Christmas music. And I was trying to self-analyze why Am I more interested in listening to Christmas music this year compared to any other year? And what I kind of zeroed in on, and maybe this is true for you as well, that in this year of turmoil, of COVID, of chaos, and of crisis, in a year like this, I find Christmas music to be comforting in a year that has given us very little comfort. And I don't know if you felt that same way or not. And and certainly from my perspective, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of faith, and so a lot of the Christmas music uh, obviously honors the, the, the reason for the season of Christ's birth. But even if that's not important necessarily to you, you can certainly relate to the, to the nostalgic feelings of Christmas music. They make you think of Christmases when you were a kid or, or going to visit Grandma's house at Christmas time listening to Christmas music on the way, or even listening to Christmas music while you're with relatives and with parties. And so to me, there's a psychological or psychologically soothing aspect to Christmas music in a year that, let's face it, we all need some degree of soothing. So I don't know if that's been true for you or not, or or if you've even thought about it, but that's what has been going through my mind the last couple of uh, weeks when I find myself 
listening to uh, to uh, KZK and listening to the Christmas music over there. So uh, I don't know if there's any particular songs that are meaningful to you this year more than any other, but uh, what's on your mind? 314-436-7900. There's been a lot of things in the news today. For example, we heard earlier this week that Governor Parson had pardoned, I think, 24 people and and uh, I believe on Monday or no Tuesday when that came news came out yesterday, for some odd reason, and I, I don't have the answer to this, but for some odd reason, his office didn't disclose who those people are. And uh, uh, and, and as I as I mentioned yesterday morning here on KMOX, you know, there's a very valid reason for the pardon power. If you look at at the, uh, the, the Constitutional Convention and the debates that went on. Our whole system of government is built upon checks and balances, right? That's why laws are drafted by Congress, but they have to be signed by the president. That laws are signed and going to, in effect, because of a, a cooperation between the Congress and the president, but they're subject to review by the courts. So there's always these checks and balances. And the pardon power is another feature of that check and balance. So when people are wrongfully convicted or convicted under unusual circumstances or receive sentences that seem out of whack, that allows the president to either pardon them or what's called a commutation of the sentencing, which means it's not a pardon. It's not taken away, but they just are allowed to go home for time served. And uh, and President Trump issued, I believe, 15 pardons today or in commutations. And if you look at the mainstream media, they're going berserk about this. And yet, when I looked at the numbers, President Trump is going to probably end his term in office as the with the lowest number of pardons of any president in the last 120 years. In fact, I went. I had to go back to William McKinley around 1900 to find a president who issued fewer pardons. Than President Trump. Now, he'll probably issue a few more between now and January 20, but I don't think he's going to issue 500 of them. So he could go down in history as one of the lowest pardoning presidents of all time. And yet, if you look at the mainstream media, they're going berserk over these pardons that he's been issuing. And I just, I don't understand it. I, I've got I've got a very good friend of mine. I won't mention his name because you, you probably have heard his name before. And uh, and if President Trump comes out tomorrow and says it's Christmas Eve, he's going to lay into him and say he's an idiot, he's a moron, he has no idea what he's talking about. So I think you see a lot of those people in the media, even when President Trump doesn't issue pardons, certainly not like Obama. Obama issued thousands of pardons and commutations. So uh, President Trump would have to work overtime have to be doing a whole lot of tweeting to catch up with President Obama when it comes to the use of the pardon power. But uh, you just wait and see how many pardons he issues between now and the end of the year, and then we'll we'll compare that to uh, to the first term of President Obama and see who prevails. You know, I mentioned a few moments ago Christmas music and uh, and how I think it's very soothing and it's very necessary. And uh, it's something that we certainly need. Well, here's something that I think is interesting. And, and 
uh, probably next week when I'm back in, I'm going to be talking uh, to uh, uh, to the owner of Vintage Vinyl because I, this is in the news today that for the second time in a month, for the second time in a month, the weekly vinyl album sales in the U.S. hit all-time record highs. Now, I don't know who's buying all these records. Uh, and I'm talking about vinyl records. I'm not talking about CDs. I'm not talking about streaming or downloading or anything like that. I'm talking about the good old vinyl records that uh, uh, that most people wouldn't have even have a record player in their homes today. And they've set an all-time high, a record high for sales in the United States for the second time in a month. Over one and a half million records, vinyl records, were sold last week for the second time this month, and they're probably going to sell another 1.5 million between now and next week. So I just was scratching my head as to why is that? Why? Because clearly, and I, and I love records, I like them, but there's no question you compare a record to, to uh, streaming on Spotify or streaming on Pandora or streaming on Apple Music or whatever it is you might use, or compare it even to a CD. The record doesn't sound as good. It just doesn't have the same clarity. And yet there's something interesting. There's something nostalgic. There's something about having that physical record and playing it with a needle and having it come out of a system that maybe isn't the highest fidelity. Why is that? And I think it goes back to that same thing that I was talking about with that feeling of nostalgia, that it reminds us, for those of us who grew up during a time when records were king, I think uh, I was in high school the first year that CDs, I'm sorry, that cassettes exceeded the record sales. I was in early in my high school days. And then when I got to college, CD sales finally passed records. So to me, whenever I play a record, again, I think of childhood memories. I think of sneaking into my older sister's room and playing Beatles records and knowing that if she caught me, I would get in trouble. Okay, those are the things that come to my mind when I think of records. And so maybe this idea of record sales being at all-time highs, well, part of it has to do with Taylor Swift. She's, uh, you know, she's, she's dropping a lot of albums these days. Maybe that has something to do with it. In fact, the Babylon Bee had a headline this week that said, uh, pandemic experts warn that a continued uh, pandemic-related lockdown could possibly result in more Taylor Swift albums. So uh, maybe that has something to do with it. But I think it has more to do with this idea of nostalgia and a longing and a yearning for a simpler time, a less chaotic time, a time when uh, there's less tribalism in politics and certainly less death around us from a pandemic. So um, I don't know if you like records or not. If you're a record aficionado, am I right? Am I wrong? What is it about records that that make people want to buy them, even if something of greater clarity and fidelity is available? I don't know what that is. But uh, if you've got some ideas on that, you can certainly give us a call. Hey, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Ernie Trachis, county councilman. We're going to be going through all the issues in the county and getting his perspective on how we move forward as a county. I'm Brad Young, sitting in this evening for Ryan Recker on Overnight America on The Voice of St. Louis, 
KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 